Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. And now, here's a double shot from our featured artist today, Scott Zossel. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs.
trapped inside the winter of herself Where footsteps fell Stones turn white from his brand new release and we got scott on the line hey scott how you doing good good nice weather up here in minnesota finally well it's about time we need some good weather now uh this is the first time you've been on our show and we always start things off by giving our fans an opportunity to get to know who you are and the best way to do that is through your journey how you got to where you are today so, give us the story of Scott Zosel. Well, um, I came. I've been playing music since I was, I don't know, fourteen or something like that, and never really did much with it until I was in my twenties. And I played in some rock bands around here in Minneapolis, and uh, uh, for a few years in the eighties, and some bands around here, and. Uh, all original type stuff, new wave band kind of stuff. And it was a lot of fun. And then life kind of took over for me and I didn't really do much in music until, um, you know, several decades later when I, uh, met a neighbor who, uh, who was a songwriter and I just really wanted to do some playing. Then he said, Hey, uh, I'm really into just writing songs. Let's just do that. I said, sure, whatever. Um, so, uh, and that was about, I don't know, 10, 11 years ago. And since that time, I've, uh, you know, produced four records, uh, 
and uh, and ready to do more. Um, but it really kind of, uh, I kind of always envisioned myself doing that, so it kind of came naturally to me at that time. Um, so uh, that's kind of how it started, was with an inspiration of a guy who was a pretty good songwriter in his own right, and uh, uh, and I've been doing it and playing around town here uh, in solo situations and different ensembles and full bands and things like that since then. And it's been a lot of fun. Okay. Now, um, let's talk about the new release. Now, if you needed to give someone that pitch about what this is about, to get them excited about listening, what would you tell them? Um, I guess my music, I, I wouldn't really call it super genre-specific. I've heard people call it uh, 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 pop Americana. Folksy pop Americana is what my son-in-law calls it. Uh, but I... I I've kind of moved more toward pop in the last few years. Uh, and basically just because I kind of tire of, you know, folk and country and from time and because it's the simplicity of it. And I just like to move in a more adventurous direction. And I think that's what they'll find on the new record. It's, it's, it has a little taste of everything, but it's all kind of tied together by a really solid, uh, core musicians that agreed to do the record with me. And uh, Greg Schutte is the the drummer and the, the producer and has a small studio up in northeast Minneapolis. And I, I played uh, a handful of good live shows with this band and uh, it seemed like a natural fit. Um, and so the production and the rhythm section and the and the uh, atmospheric guitar playing of Dan Schwartz is really quite outstanding. Uh, and so it really takes the songs that I have and kind of takes them to a different level. You know, it really elevates the, the songwriting. Okay. Um, well, let's talk and working about, with them. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about, um, you as a songwriter. Um, you know, every songwriter has their way of, of tapping into that muse. They have a process. When you sit down mm-hmm. and begin to write, what is your process? Well, I mean, when I'm going to work on a full record of stuff, I've kind of set a goal for myself to say it's going to be done by X date. You know? And so I kind of put that date up on the wall, and, and then I kind of... And it kind of all goes from there. But my process is a little bit different. It's kind of a lot of different things that go on, you know, like uh, that, that work in parallel, so to speak. I I write poetry in a book pretty much every morning, and I that's no exaggeration. I've I've kind of come addicted to that practice. So, uh, the, you know, and my. And the process of that is uh, uh, grown for me in terms of, in terms of the artistry, just by by you know being obedient to that process every day, you know, and so in the process of that my confidence for my ability to spin narratives and stuff like that is really uh, has really improved for me. So it starts with you know, fashioning narratives, but at the same time, I, you know, I'll listen to music as, as I take a walk every day and get new ideas. And then I will, um, and then I'll, uh, you know, sit down with the guitar and put my phone recorder on and just kind of record whatever comes to mind, whatever, I, whatever I'm like, you know, whatever I've experienced, you know, and, uh, I'll try to, make sounds and melodies that way. And then I kind of see which things fit together, you know, and I'll try different, try different, you know, narrative ideas. And, and when I write, 
when I write poems every day, I try to make sure that I have at least three verses of some kind. And, but they don't, they'll, they'll never work that way. I mean, a poem is not a song, so it needs to be shaved and, you know, sanded and buffed and, and, and uh, tweaked and diddled with until it actually fits a melodic line. So it's kind of a lot of things. I, I, I explained it to I explained it to Greg Shooty, the producer, kind of how this worked, and he said, "Oh, it's kind of like you've got like a bunch of stuff in a bunch of drawers, and then you just pull them out and kind of see what fits together." And that that kind of describes it. Okay. And and I and then I kind of know that I've got something, and sometimes it just it'll start with just like one line, you know, and one line, and I'll. Just find one line i'll just pick the guitar up oh let me sing that line into the phone a little bit and see where it goes and after that then i'll go back to the words and and see what fits and the hardest part is when when i've decided yeah this is going to be a song you have to sit down and actually stay with it until it becomes something or it just goes in the garbage can (laughs) it just doesn't work too so there's that you know you you know it's 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 uh uh, it, it's great when it works, but you know, it doesn't work all the time, you know, like, and you have to know when like, yeah, when to stop. But the the beautiful part is that sometimes I will like share these with other people. Cause I'll be like, eh, I'm not sure this is really a song. And then I'll play it for someone like, Oh, that's yeah. You should really pursue that. But if they're kind of like lukewarm, I know that. Yeah. Probably not the best or whatever. I'll concentrate my, my uh, energy elsewhere. Now, so, okay. Now, uh, a lot of songwriters have embraced the, some of the technology today as a tool. You know, you had mentioned that you utilize your cell phone to kind of capture those thoughts and ideas. You know, and some have a home recording studio. What are some of the tools you have found to be really kind of indispensable to you as a writer? Just kind of what I've described. I, I. I you know, I really try to stay away from uh, trying to dress stuff up in GarageBand and stuff like that. I, I have some of the tools for that, and I'm familiar with using them, and I've done them. But I, I realize that, like, it's just very time-consuming uh, process. And I, I always tell people that whatever takes away from the actual thought of songwriting is really not a good thing for me. <laughs> you know, like... I, the, the more time I spend actually writing is, is better than time taking a song and, you know, trying to dazzle it up in garage band. Sure. Those are fun to listen to. It's fun, but like you're kind of living in an echo chamber that you're not really doing anything. I'm a, I'm a person that feels like I have to have a lot of things going at one time. And kind of the, and what I've discovered about that is that there's so much self-doubt in song in songwriting that I need to do things to trick myself so I don't face that. Like for example, if I start with a song, I think I've got something, and I get stuck in the middle of it. I'll go, well, what else could I work on right now? And then I'll just move on to the next thing that was working. So I'm kind of like I'll be working on like six or seven songs at a time. And that's what works best for me okay. uh, to, to, to distract myself from myself, from my self doubt, because I think that if any songwriters are listening, they know exactly what I'm talking about because as an amp, as you know, a, a budding or aspiring songwriter, uh, it's, it's real easy to get into that thing that, you know, like, like, why would anybody listen to me? Why would anybody like me? You, you know what I mean? Like there's all those, those, that self doubt, which is, it just, we live with that. The more we just face up to it and strategize how to get around it. I think the better off we are. At least that was, that's what works for me. My poetry writing has really helped me because I finally, this year, starting in December, I started, I started publishing poems on a website called medium and I have, uh, so I'm able to share so many narratives with so many different people. Uh, 
and and have discovered that you know I'm not half bad at that, you know, and so I'm I'm and then I'm meeting and and having conversations with uh, people who are much better than I am, and 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 sharing ideas that way. So that and that's given me a lot of confidence. So it's it, it to, to write songs, you know, you, you need to build that confidence and feed that feed that need for confidence and that immediate because before I would just leave them in the book or sometimes I would type them into the computer uh, to, to save them for songs or whatever and uh, but this is kind of like it, it's really boosted my confidence a lot so I'm I just started working on my next record now that I finished the promotion for Saturday's Child I mean, I'll be playing that and promoting it, like in shows and stuff like that, for you know the next, you know, for the foreseeable future. But now I get to start writing again because the the process of promoting a record, like working with Krista and and uh, checking all the boxes on on her list, was is was also very uh, time consuming and energy draining. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Now, you know, one of the big buzzwords um, in the industry right now is has been AI, artificial intel- intelligence. And mm-hmm. uh, Ed Sheeran did an interview on Swedish radio saying that he utilized some of these tools in his writing. Uh, and it becomes kind of an idea generator more than a crutch. A lot of songwriters have kind of embraced some of these tools that, that are out there whether it's for lyric or melody or even orchestration and chord structures. Um, have you utilized any of these or what is your opinion of the, of the AI software out there for songwriters? I I'm, I'm really not familiar with a lot of it, but I'm, I'm a very technological person and I, you know, uh, I'm always intrigued by things that are technological. I, uh, I'm a, I'm a digital marketer by trade, and so I'm very technologically adept. So uh, I'm always looking at those things. But I, but sometimes I just I look and I don't touch. I just go, you know, I I have not I've not I haven't uh, jumped into that. So if if you if you if you've mentioned any, you know, any, I I would be definitely interested. Um, but uh, again, I'm always cautious of. For some reason, around songwriting, for, for for anything else, I'm you know like I'm uh, I'm tech, I, I I use technology, you know. But like for example, like in my business, you know, you would think that that uh, you know like you have like your to do list would be digital, right? I I can't get to that. I for some reason cannot do a digital to do list. I still have like right next to me is my notebook where I handwrite to do and then physically check dates off with a pencil, you know? So I have not gotten into that kind of stuff. I just, it just never, um, and I, and I don't feel like I'm old school, but there's just certain things I just, I don't, for some reason, just, I, you know, I, I haven't caught on to them. You know, I just, there's some, you know, there's certain, certain aspects of technology. I just, to stay away from for some reason. I'd be really interested in what Ed Sheeran uses, and I and I do see you know, in my Instagram feed. I do see like here's the latest tool how to do that. Yeah, pick this chord progression and do these. Like I would be interested, but like I've just never like can I can never get myself to push the button to install the app. Okay. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah. I mean, there's quite a few out there. I mean, and they're growing every day. Um, now, uh, one of the things um, that I find interesting is uh, that moment where you have to put that pen down. Uh, a lot of songwriters get tripped up on that that moment where you have to declare the song done, at least in the writing phase. It continues to evolve in the studio and even after the studio, but you got to get to that point. What do you use as a quantifier to determine when a song is ready to move to that next phase of its life? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked me that because 
there is this process of evolution even beyond the studio, I think. And and I'm and, and I'm always one like, hey, if it if it works better to to sing it like that or like that, great. You know, and let's just do it. Like the record is the record. This is live. This is what we're feeling here, and it's got to feel good, you know. So I'm I'm all for like if something feels like it needs to change, to sound better, to feel more authentic, for sure. You got to do that, <laughs> you know. I, I'm and, and and then the other question, like, when is the song done? Well, that's a great question because. I'm a believer in deadlines and the last, the, the Saturday child record that I worked on, I came in there with like 10 songs, maybe 11. And I really only put the, we only recorded the ones that I thought were, were ready. But, but the thing is like, there were four that were locked, locked in the other five or six were in various phases of completion, but I was comfortable enough with the guys to say, let's, okay, let's just, and the way it works with, uh, Greg Schutte and Dan and Nick in the studio is it was all a live setting, at least to begin with. And we basically just like turned it. We, you know, we would for, for 15 or 20 minutes, we'd kind of go through with here's what the song was like. We would kind of, you know, tighten up the arrangement, what we were going to do. They all had the music and then it was just off and running. And then you just record for like 30, 45 minutes over and over. And then, and finally we'd say after like the fifth or sixth time, is that one good? And we say, yeah, that felt like that was good. And then he basically picks out the best one and that's kind of the basis for the track. And but, so in terms of like, I, you know, I was a little nervous going into the studio that way and bringing in kind of stuff that was kind of like half, you know, the stuff that I wasn't, you know, uh, I didn't think was really complete or flushed out, but they found their way, you know, um, uh, Dan Schwartz plays such great melodies and can, can kind of like, it can kind of like, uh, create them on the spot that once I heard the, what was recorded, I said, you know, this lyric has changed to this, you know, and then we were, because I'm able to go in after that and sing it a bit differently or add harmonies or add keyboards and stuff like that. But the, the bass tracks, you know, are, are the bass tracks, you know, and then, then they're just the way it's recorded is that we can replace those up. But we never replaced the bass and the drums. Those just always stayed right where they were. Okay. Um, but I, I believe in, in saying, if, if my word is a, I will have, uh, you know, 10 songs ready by X date, I will have them ready. By hook or by crook, you know. Uh, like I said, I'm a, I'm a digital marketer by trade. I've been a graphic designer. I've been a writer, you know, and always produce on deadlines. So it's kind of part of my DNA. So and I just kind of bring that same discipline to songwriting. Um, and uh, pretty happy with the songs that came out of that. Uh, some really came to life in the studio. I didn't really know what they were going to be like because I, they were just kind of scratch tracked and, you know, but I was like, Hey, I had a confidence that I knew I have a really good rapport with these musicians and they're all professionals, which I am not, but they are. So, uh, I, you know, I had a lot of trust in them. There's a, you know, really good working rapport, good artistic rapport there. And when you have that, if you're comfortable and confident in that, it can make it work, you know. Okay. Now, um, let's talk a little bit about going into the studio. Um, of course, that's an art form in itself. And every song, when it gets in the studio, you create its its identity, its sound, its vibe. Um, and every artist has their way of working in that environment to capture the sound they're looking for. What is your process when you get into the studio that helps you capture the sound you want? 
Well, I mean, it was kind of what I just described in a way, but that I'd never done it like that before. That was the first time I'd ever done a record with, with those guys. I mean, the, my previous records I did, you know, a couple of years ago, um, or that I released in 2021 was done completely differently. It was done. Um, uh, it was, uh, that was a situation where I recorded everything, uh, a basic guitar and vocal track to a click track to the exact arrangement I was going to do. And I came in with everything was like, I know I'm going to sing a harmony here. I know this is going to be here. This is where I want electric guitar. And it was all pieced together. Uh, a very talented producer. I worked with his name is Rob genetic here in in Minneapolis. Um, basically created the drums and bass tracks, uh, digitally. Uh, you can barely tell. I mean, you really can't tell and did a outstanding job of producing that record. It, the guy is just one of the best mixers I've ever come across, you know? Um, and then we added lead guitar and stuff like that. So that's different. That's a completely different mindset. But being in the studio with Rob was really demanding. I have to really prepare to like, it depends on, I think it's, it depends on who you're going to be working with. You kind of have to mentally prepare for like, yeah, this this guy's really demanding in this way, whereas, you know, Greg Schuette is more laid back and fun, loving. Um, so, it, but, it, but it all works. I mean, working with Rob was, was great. He is such a professional, and he really got the best out of me. But it's preparing for people, you know, what it's going to be like to work with people and try to, to vibe with them, with, with the way they want to be, uh, you know, what they see the path. To creating some good artistry. Okay. Now, um, once you get it recorded, of course, you got to get it out there and create the buzz. And you're working with Krista Vilenkis of uh, Elephants and Flowers Media. Tell me a little bit about that relationship. Well, I found her online, and it, and I was delighted that she works with so many uh, people here in Minneapolis. And, um, she has very, uh, uh, I don't want to use the word strict, but she's, she's very detailed in what she wants for me to put together the con the, the types of content and where they go and stuff like that. So and it was a lot of work. You know, I felt like up to the release, I felt like for the, like two months up to the release, I felt like I worked seven days a week because I worked during the week and, and it was like my whole entire weekends were devoted to like cutting video and making link pages and getting the pre-release stuff and just all and you know up you know um, you know updating my website and getting the EPK stuff to, into the format that she wanted. It's just a, a lot of work, and uh, and I hope that you found what. I put together helpful. I mean, cause that was the point. Mm-hmm. I mean, was every, you know, I, I, I tried my best to, you know, nail down every, you know, check every box, you know, mm-hmm. that she set forth. So, but, uh, this seems like a good interview. Like I, you know, your publication seems great. I'm, I'm excited to see what you'll, put together you know you're, you're we're talking about all the things that a songwriter wants to talk about you know so okay. i appreciate that not a problem now let's talk about the industry a little bit um we all know that the elephant in the room here is that the consumer has embraced streaming as a way to consume music and it's a no-brainer for them i mean for 10 15 a month you have access to pretty much everything that's ever been recorded but the problem is is that recorded music has lost its status as a as a product nobody's buying music anymore it's more of a, a service um how has this shift in perception by the consumer itself affected you as an artist well i kind of missed the era of uh you know 
producing CDs and selling them and trying to trying to get into that, you know, distribution channels, stuff like that. So I kind of I don't really know a lot about that. I I have friends that I've met that that uh, said that that you know they could they could go out and play a gig and they could sell twenty CDs and have come home with some cash in their pocket. You know, I kind of miss that. And it's uh, and the other thing, uh, it's it's really hard to get streaming, you know, views and stuff like that if you're unknown. And so um, there's some some other ways. I've had some luck with some uh, uh, playlist placements that are pretty legitimate, but um, you're, you're never gonna you're you're never gonna be profitable with it. I mean, to me, the idea of making records is really about the songwriting, you know. Mm-hmm. And there are two two things that I live for in this business. Number one is writing songs, and number two is performing them. And to me, making records is what I can talk about to to go play clubs and stuff like that. That, you know, when people can see that I've made, you know four records in five years or whatever, they can see that I've been busy, that I, that I take this shit seriously, <laughs> you know, and industry itself is really kind of beyond my control. I mean, every time I listen to a podcast or something where they're talking about like strategies for, uh, you know, digital placements and stuff like that, like none of it really applies to me. Like I was, I actually attended, have you ever been to South by Southwest? Oh yeah. Have you ever been to the conference? It's, it'll blow your mind in terms of like the number of things you can, you know, like seminars and workshops and panels and stuff like that. And I saw a lot of stuff there this year and, um, they were talking the the streaming industry, uh, you know, um, it's, there's something, it, 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 it just blows my mind. It's, it's something like it, there's, 200,000 new records being uploaded into Spotify every day or something like that. Oh, yeah. It's, it's insane the amount of, of I mean, music that's being released. And so, oh, how can a guy like me compete with that? Well, I probably can't. But I can still make records. I can still be counted. You know what I mean? People, if they listen to my record, they will know whether they like what I'm doing. And Hopefully they do, you know, because I think my stuff vibes with a lot on a lot of different levels, you know. So I'm just going to continue to do it. It's it's fun because, like I said, I focus on I, I like to focus on the live playing and the writing. Those are the two things that bring me joy, you know. So the rest of it is kind of out of my control. And I don't really have any theories or tips about how to do it other than, you know, you know, buy some playlists, placements and stuff like that. But there's, there's like sync licensing, there's all that kind of stuff too, but it all costs money, you know, and I've invested in quite a lot of it, you know, but this time around, I just invested in Krista and, you know, to get interviews like this, then maybe someone will hear me and maybe something I will say will resonate, you know? Because little things like that do happen, and that it all, you know, brings out the joy in music making. So, well, you know, and I agree. The only thing, um, the you know, the whole buying playlist insertions, I think, is is kind of the 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 new scam of the industry, uh, because it's actually against the uh, terms of service of of Spotify to to sell placement on on playlists. And you know you could get your music removed if you you know if you if you uh, participating in that. So just you know be careful of it. You know. Yeah. No. I I hear what you're saying because th- there are there's a scammer around every corner. You know. And uh, uh, the ones I the only one I ever use is a place called Sound Campaign. And basically, what you're buying there is you're basically just buying. I know that it's legit because. Uh, you're basically you buy 
like a number of you buy curators, you know, you know, you get so many curators or so many days or whatever. And if they pick it up, they pick it up. If they decline, they decline. And the ones that I've gotten, I've got a couple songs placed on and, and, you know, I got one song up into the past. I think it was like into five figures, you know, but that's rare for someone like me. It's not going to be an everyday thing. Right. Right. But, and, whether that's whether I'm dealing with robots there, I have no idea. <laughs> Could be, you know, AI with the way it is that you mentioned earlier. It's you, you never know who you're de- you never know what or who you're dealing with nowadays. You know, kind of kind of a mystery. Yep. Well, you know, one of the things, um, you know, the the whole thing with streaming is is it, it's it's a weird world. Um, you know, we want to get on these playlists and and the way they've designed it is that if you're not doing it organically, um, it really doesn't do you any good. Um, you know, it's kind of that's the way they're they're trying to put it out there. But the problem is, is that the guy who owns Spotify is making more money than the, than the top 10 artists on his site put together. So there is a huge disparity there with, with you know, uh, an issue with with how that the monies are distributed. And yeah. it's, not, it's not a sustainable business model. I mean, let's face it. We can't continue to have artists create content and not compensate them. Um, so streaming has to evolve. Just like the digital revolution has evolved over the last 20 years, from LimeWire to Napster to iTunes and now to Spotify, it's going to evolve in the future. And one of the things that I've been watching is these new blockchain-based streaming services like Audius and Audiolox and Emanate. Um, and they got a lot of backing from major artists right now. And the, the advantage of these is that no company or person can own these streaming services. They're owned by the consumers and by the artists who are putting up their content. And they claim that it's only going to take 20% of the incoming revenue to run this the service. The other 80% is going to be distributed back to the artists themselves. And because it's run off of these smart contracts that are embedded in the blockchain, it can't be corrupted. It's not something that can be manipulated like Spotify manipulated the um, royalty payments out when they made deals with the record companies and kind of left the scraps for the independent artists. And let's face it, the the indie artist is the ones that are creating the bulk of their content. You know, it may not be the bulk of the revenue generating content, but it is still the bulk of the content. Uh, so we need to kind of move in that direction. We need to move away from, you know, a company that owns the streaming service or the delivery service for music that's not paying artists into a new system that does compensate the artists. What do you think of that as a potential future for the industry? Uh, I I, I love that. Did you mention, was it Audius? Is that what you yes, said it was? Audius. Yeah, I, I love that idea. I'm going to look that are there, are there any other ones I should know about? Well, there's Audius, there's Emanate, there's uh, Audiolox, uh, and there, there's more popping up all the time. Right now, Audius is a fully functioning platform. Uh, in fact, I put my podcasts up there. It's free to put your music up. You don't need an aggregator. You can put your music up today. Just go up, do an account. You can get players on your phone right now. Um, it's got the backing of, of Katy Perry, Jason Derulo, um, Nas, Pusha T, uh, Dead Mouse, a lot of the EDM artists. So it is a functioning uh, platform at this particular time. And, you know, a lot of people said, oh, we can't unseat Spotify. Well, they said that about Napster. They said that about... Uh, iTunes, and, you know, I mean, the industry is littered with companies who decided that they were too big to fail, and now they're gone. You know, who who the hell's got an iPod now? You know, 
Yep, true. It's, it's not there anymore. So the industry is going to change. Um, another thing that I'm watching that is really interesting for, especially for independent artists, is this whole world of NFTs, these non-fungible tokens. Now, when I first started looking into them, um, I could not wrap my head around it. It just, just, just wasn't working until I found the site called Royal.io, and what they allow you to do is to create NFTs that represent a small portion of your streaming royalties or of your publishing royalties, whichever one you want to make. What was the name of that one? Royal.io. And um, Nas did this with two songs from his uh, last release. And he made enough to cover one half of the royalties on these two songs. Sold it to his fan base was able to generate almost $600,000 in upfront income. In addition, had almost 3,000 fans that had an economic interest in making sure his music is streamed. On top of that, the way these NFTs are structured, they are bought and sold on this open market. So if you buy one and you decide you want to resell it, well, Nas gets a commission on the resale price of that NFT in perpetuity forever. So it's Hmm. kind of this buying stock in a song and it allows you to get your fan base invested into you as an artist or into your music. It will kind of take the place of a record company. You know what I mean? Having your fans Mm -hmm. instead of crowdfunding and not maybe getting a, a, a CD. Instead, they'll get a piece of the action. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't imagine if the if this existed when the Beatles came out or Springsteen, and I was able to buy a piece of Born in the USA or um, or you know Come Together or you know Penny Lane or whatever right. the case may be. I'd be sitting pretty right now. It's almost for the independent artist creating your own penny stock and and give, and getting your fans to kind of invest themselves in you. Um, what do you think of that potential? I, I like that, but, but I, I still don't really understand what NFTs are. <laughs> I wish I did. Well, it's, it's basically, um, it's a non-fungible token. In other words... Um, like a dollar bill is fungible. You can give someone a dollar and oh, okay. you know, but a non-fungible token is more of a digital collectible. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. a representation of something. Uh and with this royal.io it represents a portion of the streaming royalties. And it's it's kind of a way to to kind of like I said, get your fans to invest in you as a artist or invest in their favorite song you know okay so you know i find that this is going to be an interesting exercise as we move to the future these new technologies mhm so I just bundled. Uh, I... all right now you know i i really appreciate you coming on the show and talking with us and um we're going to give everyone out there a double shot from your new release. And you guys are going to love this. You just may want to turn it up loud. Screw the neighbors. We're going to have some fun tonight.
garden Late last night I saw the Buddha In the flickering light independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, 
We bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Make you shout now, honey. Gonna make. 